My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds I keep covering up the sun. On this episode of the Just a Mom podcast, I'm truly honored to be joined by Beth, who is a mom, and she's got a pretty incredible story that she's going to share with us today. And so I just want to say thank you, Beth, for for being here and being willing to share your journey with the Just a Mom podcast listeners. I'm so glad to be here as well. So thank you for having me. Well, it's, again, like I said, it's truly an honor, and I don't take it lightly uh, what you are about to share with with me and the rest of the folks who are listening to this podcast. Um, so we'll just jump right in and get to the get to the story. So tell us, if you would, please, a little bit about you and your family. So I have three children. Um, um, I have Zach, Haley, and Noah, and... Um, um, I have, uh, my oldest son who suffered from mental illness, um, anxiety and depression. I lost him March 25th of 2019, um, to an overdose. He, uh, became addicted to drugs probably around 17. And so, um, I have a history of also of genetically, um, inclined substance abuse and mental disorders that um, somehow just navigated into, um, you know, it's it's hard to explain, but um, you don't think about it when you're growing up, you know, and the stigma attached to it. So, um, and so I, that's, that's where we're at. So I, and I have two wonderful granddaughters, I have to say, mm. too. So. And those grandkids, from what I understand, are pretty awesome. I don't have grandchildren yes. yet, but people who are grandparents say that that's a pretty, pretty it, fabulous thing. It's the best. Mm. It's the best. Yes. So you referenced your son, Zach. Yes. And you just showed me a picture of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a handsome. Thank you. Young man. He's gorgeous. Yes. Really, truly beautiful. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about how his battle with mental health issues first started. Um, well, with mental health issues, I wasn't quite sure what was going on with Zach. Um, so I noticed in school he um, sometimes had a hard time getting his homework done or things like that. So, you know, everybody immediately goes to um, attention deficit disorder. You know, that's the big problem solver. Um, I tried to steer clear of any kind of medication. I used to teach, and back then it was, you know, if anybody did anything, it's they'd take their kids to the doctor and they'd have them on medicine. And so I was really against that. But by his freshman year, um, I caved, um, and I was like, I've got to do something. Um So immediately, obviously, he was prescribed um, through a psychiatrist, Adderall. Uh, He didn't care for it. He didn't like the way it made him feel. Um, So he quit taking it. 
But by the age of 17, probably is when I noticed that um, his behavior was changing. Um, it was, uh, he was becoming somebody that was just not himself. Um, it's hard to describe. And I also at the same time had my daughter who was two years younger. And so they hung out together and I was noticing, you know, is this typical teenage behavior? Mm -hmm. Is it, um, you know, what is going on? Um, so, um, by the age of 17, though, was when I really noticed that he had, there was something really wrong. Um, he never talked about anxiety. He never talked about depression. Um, so it was really about that time is when I noticed that there was a, a real big issue. Um, so, And at that time, when he was 17 years old, that would have been what year, roughly? Probably 2010. Were people talking about mental health issues at that time? Not at all. That, okay, that's what I, I was getting to. Is yeah, not at all. Was... No one, no one talked about mental health. And as a matter of fact, I, you know, I grew up. My dad was alcoholic, and he also was prescribed um, Valium. Hmm. He took it for years. Um, but you know, back then the stigma was we don't talk about it. Right. Um, it's it's a, there's a lot of shame associated with with. Um, you know, having something going on in your family. Right. Um, as a matter of fact, my my best friend, who's my, been my best friend since I was five, never knew my dad was an alcoholic, mm. which is odd. She just thought he was weird sometimes. Wow. Um, and then my brother ended up being an alcoholic. And so, um, and I lost him at the age of 42. Mm. So I talked a lot to my kids about that because I know that there's genetics that run in the family. I thought it was just more of an alcohol problem, you know, drinking alcohol mm -hmm. and then you just want to drink. Um, did, little did I associate it with it, a mental illness attached mm -hmm. to it, mm. you know, and the anxiety that, that went with it and the depression, which started the alcoholism. You know, now mm. I understand that mm. so much better. And so at the same time, you know, you don't see anxiety on the outside. You don't see depression you know, it's very hidden. Right. And so it's hard to um, notice that in your child. And to your point, you said, was this typical teenage behavior? And I've right. said the same thing about yeah. our son. We And ours was our youngest. It wasn't our first time parenting teenagers. So yeah. we thought for a while, well, it's just typical teenage moodiness. Right. And it's really hard to distinguish what is an issue versus what is quote unquote normal. Right. And then, and when you have another one, you know, they're hanging together. It's just like, okay, so she is, and I think she, you know, I think my daughter dabbled and I know she did a few drugs and stuff and experimented and stuff, but they were both acting similar. So it was very hard for me to distinguish. And I was, you know, I was a mom that was not, you know, they had 1130 curfew, mm -hmm. um, there was, I was always, I'd always tell them there's nothing good that happens after 1130. Right. You need to be home. So I was a very hands-on parent. Um, I know a lot of people that um, have kids that um, had a substance use problem. We, we, we have a lot of guilt associated with, you know, what did we do wrong as sure. parents? So, but I look back and I have to remind myself, you know, um, I I was a good mom, and I was hands-on, and I was always there. But there reaches a point, 
you know, mental illness takes over and you, there's no, you know, we've got to figure out what to do. I'm really glad you said that because I know for all of us who've had a child who's struggled with something, we feel guilty. We feel that we have this delusion of control, I think. Right. Right. And I've interviewed multiple people who have said the exact same thing and, and parents who have lost children who, yes, have have echoed what you are saying, and particularly with the substance abuse. Right. I think that, and part of what I'm hoping to do here is help to educate people and reduce the stigma associated with mental illness. Definitely. And by talking about this, again, hopefully people will learn and understand that um, this isn't something that you did wrong as a mom. No, it isn't something that you did wrong as a mom. And you and I constantly have to remind myself that every day. So in my head, you know, I grieve my son every day. He's sure. with me constantly. And I have to, things will pop into my head about something that, an incident, you know, when we were going through this. And then I have to remind myself, but no, I did this. And so um, I never gave up on him. Um I was never ashamed of my son. I knew there was a problem. And by the time I realized that there was a problem, it was a problem, mm-hmm. you know. And so I have to go back and, you know, remind myself I didn't I didn't know this at the time. Right. And let's just like you said, you know, mental illness was not discussed then. And then mm-hmm. the association and how those two work together, substance use and mental illness, go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And that's where the problem is. So dealing with mental illness, um, that was my first um, thought when I lost my son was I, we really need to get rid of the stigma and the shame associated, mm. number one, with mental illness and substance use because they are hand in hand. But what better way to combat it and talk about it is we've got to deal with the mental illness issue first and teach these kids that it's okay for how you're feeling and not to be ashamed and to be able to communicate about it. And to ask for help. And ask for help. Yes. Let's go back to 17-year-old Zach. Okay. When you're noticing issues, problems, how did you how did you deal with that? How did you discuss this with him? Well, it was panic. So I, I feel like I was in panic mode. Um, I felt I had no control. You know, you, there's a certain amount of control, not like I wanted to control him. But as a, as a mother, you feel like you're just losing control and mm. you don't know what to do. Um, and so we talked about it. I tried to get him to go in and talk to somebody. Um, at that time, it was more so of me um, wanting him to go talk to somebody about depression. Because I was like, I think you're depressed or I think you're, you know, um, and words, you know, you look back even on words, how you phrase things. Did I phrase this wrong? Did it upset him? But I used to try to talk to him a lot about, you know, would you go talk to somebody? And he he just wouldn't do it. And he's like, no, I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm not going to, you know. And so when I realized that he um, was using, and it was Xanax was his preferred drug. Um, and to just to clarify what Xanax is, in case people don't know. Xanax is, an, is like uh, an anxiety medicine. It's uh, to treat anxiety. So he had been prescribed 
Xanax? No. Okay. He was buying Xanax from from people. Okay. Um, and at that time, at that time, this was all kind of new. You know, the pharmaceutical companies were pushing this, and the the painkillers and all this. Um, and so it wasn't something that was really um, talked about in the media a lot. So right. I felt like I was not educated at that time even. So um, I found out it was Xanax that he preferred. He was buying it from other people. People then were able to go from doctor to doctor to doctor to get prescriptions, and then they turn around and sell it. So it, it was readily available. You could buy it from anybody. Mm. And so that's what he was doing was medicate, self-medicating, um, to the point, and I think it had gone on for a while, because he wasn't using a lot. But I think as your brain, um, as you're using, then you need more and more. Sure. And so when I started to notice, you know, sleepiness and things like that, um, at one point there was a time when he took so much that he was standing in the kitchen um, and just not standing and just nodding and mm. nodding. And that's when my daughter then said, Mom, he has a problem. And that's when it hit me. And so I talked to him. We, we talked about it. And um, at that time, I thought maybe we, if we talk about it and we come together as a family, then we can get through this. But that's just not, it's not that simple. Because mm. once it has changed the chemistry of your brain, then it's, it's hard to stop. And so one thing led to another. You know, um, he got his wisdom teeth out. He was prescribed painkillers. So um, then, then we had that issue. And, at, and there again, ignorance on my part. You trust the medical profession. This is what they need, you know. But for somebody that has an addictive personality, those things can take less than, you know, five days for you to become addicted. And so these are things that they don't need, but they were really pushing all that back then. So there was a different time. When he turned 18 then... Um, and with the HIPAA laws, he went to our family doctor and told her, um, I, I feel anxious, I'm, um, you know, whatever. And she immediately prescribed him Xanax. So now he had his own prescription, brought it home, and did almost the entire bottle. And so... And one day? Yes. Mm -hmm. And how old was he at this time? Eighteen. And still in high school, out of high school? Uh, no, by then I had let him because he was struggling so much in high school. And that was a whole different issue. Um, he was struggling so much in high school that I, I allowed him to drop out to pursue his GED because I felt like the school district, the school system was not helping him in any way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, I felt they were putting so much pressure on everybody that it wasn't doing him any good. Mm -hmm. And he was not college-bound at the moment. So... Let him get his GED, you know. And with the problems he was dealing with, that graduating from high school was probably at the bottom of your list of concerns? Right. Yeah. I'm just trying to get him through a day. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm. And so I was just I was just grasping at anything to make his life, you know, you know, okay, let's do this then or you know. And I want you to be happy. That's what I want. How can we reach that point? Because he would say, well, all I want to do is just work. You know, and he didn't like school. He didn't like being there. He didn't like. And so it was a struggle. And don't get me wrong. He would always start off the intentions of a school year of, 
I'm going to take this, you know, I'm going to take advanced English. I want, you know, but then whenever it came time to pursue that, then he really struggled with um, getting all that done. And I think it was his anxiety. You know, he would end up not doing his homework. Um, so that was all a struggle. Mm-hmm. And I think that all goes together, you know, and I, so that takes me back to the freshman year, you know, ADD, but yet he didn't like the way it made him felt. And so I've always heard that he, you know, if that medicine, if you don't have it, that medicine doesn't work for you. It acts as, it's like meth. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, okay, now what? So I just always thought in my heart, I'm, I'm a strong mom. I can get him through this. I can get him through this. But when I realized that it had gone past the point of me being able to do anything, and that's when, you know, I realized something, you know, was really, really terribly wrong. And so panic. It was a pure daily panic of what to do and how to deal with it. And trying to find people to help you at that time, it was very difficult. Everybody had their own ideas of how you should help. Um, you know, you talk to one professional, um, kick him out of the house, um, call the police, um, don't let him do this, don't let him do that, or let him be there, but don't let him use drugs in the house. And so you have all this going on in your head, and then as one person you're trying to deal with it. It was, it was so much, you know, for me. And so now that I look back since I've lost him, I know what I went through. I can only imagine what he was going through. And that's what hurts the most. Mm. So. The day that he took the whole bottle of Xanax, he's 18 years old. Mm-hmm. How did you find out about this? Um, what happened? <laughs> I was home. Um, and he was angry. Um, his It changed his whole personality. And so... Uh, at that time, him and his sister, you know, she was, he was being stinky or hateful and they were fighting and it gets violent. And that's so not Zach to the point where we had to end up calling the police and then he was arrested. Hmm. So, but he, and so this is where, you know, this is where it leads to. And so you you start to think, okay, consequences. And I'd always taught my kids, you know, you do the crime, you do the time in school. Or if you, you know, if your behavior's like this, then you don't. So there was always consequences with my kids growing up. And so I had no choice. You know, it was, um, he was, you know, by the time I found his, the bottle of Xanax, it was all gone. Because when I called the police and they ended up arresting him, then I, he had his, I had the prescription bottle in my hand of Xanax, and it was empty. Hmm. How did that feel when the police arrived at, at your house? It was, it, I was terrified. Um, I was terrified because I, at that time, you know, things have changed. And so, um, too, in that respect, and with mental health and calls with the police, um, I had him calm down by that time. So it was him and his sister. It was, they just were. And um, so I had him walking around my driveway and I had him calm down. But by that time, my daughter had called the police and they came and they arrested him. I can't even remember what he what he was arrested for, if it was for just 
domestic, you know, or whatever. It was heartbreaking because then they took him to jail. And then later on, you know, when he calls me, you know, he's in tears. And so, you know, as a mother, then you're like, okay, now I need to help him. And so we talk, you know, and you talk about that. And, but it, that didn't stop him. You know, from there it went to um, one night he went out and he got a DUI. And I think he was taking something then. Um, he didn't call me. He called his girlfriend. She went and got him, picked him up, brought him home, and he went back out that night. Oh. And he got another one. Oh, two DUIs in one night? Yes. Wow. Yes. And then he was arrested. And so this by, by this time, I was being, okay, you did the crime, you do the time. And I'm like, I, there's nothing I can do to help you, Zach. You know, you've got to understand this. So I'm trying to pay, you know. And by this time, I'm like, okay, I've got to do something. So I gave him the um, ultimatum of, I think it's time for you to go into rehab and get some help. And if you choose to not, then I guess you can't be here. Hmm. And so he went to rehab. Now, lesson learned there is, if you're not ready, it's not going to do you any good. And he went to rehab. That was his first stint in rehab. And he went there, but it really didn't do him any good because he was not ready to stop using. And And how old was he? He was still 18 at this time? 18, yes. And how long was he in rehab the first time? Um, He, well, the... He didn't do the full 30 days even. So they had him in rehab, and it's a 30-day stint, which I might add, you know, that's a whole different topic too. 30 days is not enough, you know, to um, help somebody. But I, we went up there, um, and he would call me. He wanted to come home. I'd say, you need to stay up there. Um, and his counselor called me and said he's not really even trying like he's not coming to classes. He's not doing the things he's supposed to be doing. So, but he could socialize up there and he was one everybody loved him. And mm-hmm. but he wasn't using either when he was up there. But so he was kind of like a binger type guy. I guess I should say, you know, he wasn't constantly using, but it would he would go like on binges. Okay. And that's when it would get bad. So, went up there, talked to the counselor. Um, and we decided that if it's not doing him any good, then he needs to come home. I ended up having him at one point go live with his dad because his dad and I were divorced, which is a trauma for him at the age of four. Um, he went there and lived for two years because I thought maybe, um, if I can get him out of my house and the, just the, at you call it the atmosphere of the house that's going on, you know, um, his stepdad and, and and the fact that his dad hadn't really been a strong influence in his life, maybe this will help. So I had him go there and live. And in the meantime, I said, okay, if you can't, if we're not going to do uh, rehab, then you're going to do outpatient rehab. So I got him signed up for that. So that was the second. And so I would drive over to Kansas, pick him up, take him to rehab in Missouri, drive him back. And then I found out that when I was doing that, he had set up a time to buy drugs from the from the people in our area when I was taking him to rehab. Hmm. 
And so it was just, you know, you you're constantly trying to stay a step ahead, a step ahead and try to figure out, okay, if I do this, then I'm, what's he going to, you know, does he have something planned or whatever? And I find that out and I quit taking him to outpatient. Hmm. And so it was just a constant battle of just, you know, um, of him because then, you know, once someone starts using, then you have the lies and the manipulations because they have to. They have to lie to get what they need, you know. That was my next question is where did he get the money to pay for all this? Good question. Um, he worked. Um, he would work. He um, would also steal. Like I would notice money missing from my wallet or things missing from the house. Um, and you couldn't, you know, you could ask him about it, but you know, he would deny it. And what do you say? You know, do you, you know, it's, I can't prove it. Right. You know, and so it was just a constant, you know. And so once he got over to his dad's, um, his dad was more of a friend than he was a parent. So that didn't go over well either, you know. Um, but then his dad got to see firsthand what I was dealing with. But he ended up back at my house because his dad couldn't deal with it. Mm. And so it just it was just a vicious cycle. And and all along knowing and I and you know, through all this, he would be apologizing to me. I'm so sorry, Mom. I'm so sorry. Because he did not want to be this way. This was not something, you know, he chose, I guess. And some people might think, okay, but he chose to do drugs. Well, you know, that first initial time using, he may have chose, but then the drugs chose him. Because it just rewires your brain to need more and more and more. So he did not like the way that he was, and he didn't want to be that way. But at the same time, he didn't think he needed to go to rehab. He thought he could just take care of it himself. So it was just a constant, constant battle with us. I lived in panic, fear for my son. You know, I would wake up in the middle of the night, mm, you know, something woke me up. I need to go check on him. And I'm standing in his bedroom door, afraid to open it for what I might find. But I would make myself, and I would go stand over him to see if he's breathing. And I don't know what made me do that. It just, something would wake me up. And so that's how that's how we live. But it was hard for me to um, turn my back on him. You know, a lot of parents make the decision, if you're not going to follow my rules and you're using out and just turn their backs. I couldn't do that. But I had to find a way to not enable him, but to be there for him. And that's a tough one because it's a fine line between that and, exactly. and to learn, to learn what that looks like. Yes. At this point, so he's he's been basically an addict from the age of, 17, 18, you would say. Yes. Um, and so now he's probably, what, 21? Yeah. Living back at your home. Mm-hmm. Okay. And did he receive any mental health services during any of these periods of time? No. I would try to get him to go talk to people. And at that time, it was rehab, rehab. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
you know, there again, I'm not associating, you know, his mental health issues with drug use. You know, it's an edu- it's you get an education. Right. And even when you go up to the rehab, um, you know, the places, the rehab places, um, they don't bring in, they don't talk about mental health. They just, they just talk about the actual drug use. You know, I remember going and talking once to his counselor and um, it was me, Zach, and his counselor. And she actually said to me, Zach told me that you talked about drinking and drugs so much that do you think maybe you had a part in this? Oh, no. I mean, this came from the counselor at the rehab. Wow. And so now I'm like, okay. So now I'm taking, okay, what did I do wrong? Mm. You know, and I know I didn't pound it in his head, but we talked about that's, that's my job as a mother. And we talked about responsibilities and, you know, making good decisions. And, and I wanted them, I wanted my kids to know that, you know, my dad was an alcoholic and, and these things, you know, you can get addicted to this stuff. Yeah. Genetic predisposition. Right. I didn't talk about it every day. So that just floored me. Like I was like, I had no words. Like I didn't know what to say. And so I finally realized rehab. Okay. What's the point? You know, what's the Mm -hmm. point of rehab when I just felt like if his heart wasn't in it and he felt like he didn't need it, I think he thought maybe he could control it. And maybe it's because he didn't use every single day. Um, you know, he would go through times when he didn't, two weeks. You know, he may have smoked weed during that time, but he wasn't doing pills. Um, I don't know if there was triggers that made him want to use at a certain time. So um, I don't think he really, I think he thought he could control how he used, but he, he really couldn't, and it wasn't his fault either. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish he would have done a one-on-one therapy, you know, um, with somebody or, um, you know, we talked about like the outpatient, he was not comfortable sitting in a group. He didn't like that and talking about stuff going on. So I was always trying to come up with suggestions for him. All right, let's try this. Let's try this, you know, until I was the one that was, it just, it took over my life of trying to figure out what, what can I do to help him? Fear of going home, fear of waking up in the morning, fear of, you know, it was just exhausting until finally I realized, I just said, you know, Zach, um, I can't live this way anymore. I love you, but you're going to make your own decisions. And so if you find yourself in a position, um, that you get in trouble or, something, then I said, I, I can't be there for you to bail you out or help you. You, you are your own person, but I want you to know that I love you and I'm always here for you, but you're an adult and I just kind of need to step back from what the decisions that you're making. And so once I did that, I think that kind of helped him too. Mm. Um, because he, you know, and I and it was a big relief for me. It was a hard, 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 hard for me to figure sure. that out and just to let him do what he, you know, 
and just let those consequences come if he did. But I also noticed that things kind of changed with him. Hmm. Yeah. And he was still living in your home. Yes. And you allowed him to stay in your home. Yes. But you said, I'm not going to bail you out anymore. Yeah. I can't, you know, I, you're just, yeah, I'm not going to bail you out. I, I'm here if you need me. You know, I kind of just put it back on him, but I'm not turning my back on you. I love you. And so um, that's kind of when I noticed our relationship kind of changed because we were, you know, it's hard when your son's talking to you and you're like, he's lying, he's lying, he's lying. I know he's lying, but how do you prove it? So it's, you know, it's just an everyday thing for me. I can't imagine. And so once I made that decision that, it's out of my hands. I have no control. I finally realized I have no control. And it's going to be up to him to make that decision. Then things, our relationship actually even got a little better. Um, I didn't have trust in him. I didn't trust him. But I had to let it go and just hope for the best. Were you seeking any kind of help during these years, counseling, or you know, how did you cope with this? Because it's yeah. a lot. And as I'm watching you talk about it, and I'm I'm putting myself in your position thinking, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I would go, well, yeah, I, I would go and talk to um, people to get advice for him. And they would say, well, I'm more worried about you. And, and so, you know, I talked to somebody that I knew, and he was now, he had been... Um, had substance use problems and he was in recovery. Now he was had gone and got his um, a counselor for that, um, but he was very harsh in his thinking. Kick him out, call the police, don't let him do this, don't let him do that. And the whole time he's telling me this, I'm like, I'm no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not, I'm not going to kick him out. I cannot turn my back because I knew that if I did, then he wouldn't have been around as long as he was. Mm. If I if I did that. As a mother, I can't, you know, that, that I just, I just couldn't do it. So, um, I also went in, yeah, I went into therapy. Um, and I, I just don't think the therapist that I went to, uh, worked for me. Wasn't the right fit. Wasn't the right fit. So at the same time that I'm dealing with this, so then I put myself on the back burner because he was the main focus, you know, just trying to make sure that he's you know, and th trying to think of all the things that I could do to help him. So th it's weird because everybody had advice, you know, um, from family members to, you know, his dad, my husband, um, people that I reached out to, um, but nobody offered any help. It was all on me, mm. you know. So, you know, his dad would say, well, kick him out. And I'd say, well, you kick him out. Go, come pick him up and take him somewhere. Well, where do you want me to take him? I don't know. What you, you know, same thing with my husband. You know, so that must have been overwhelming to feel like you were a, an island unto yourself. It was very over. It was very overwhelming. I, I can't overwhelming, and I'm not even sure describes yeah. it to. Um. It it just it consumed me. Sure, it was all consuming. How could it not? Yeah, and in the meantime, you know, I have two other kids, and 
you know, I'm trying to be a mother to them. But in all honesty, he consumed my life. You know, and it wasn't because, but I just, I had to do something. I wanted to do something to help him. I just didn't know, I didn't know what to do. Did your other children resent him? Um, Haley was, Haley was very close to him. So she probably is the one that knows him the best. And even whenever he was going through all this, but yet they had this battle when he was on something, then she would get very angered, and then that would spark his anger, and it would escalate. So that was a tough one. Sure. Um, my youngest, um, he was pretty young, and yeah, I think I think there was some resentment because there was a lack of understanding of what he was going through, and I was I would try to talk to my youngest son about that. Your brother is sick; he has a disease. But when you see it firsthand, it's hard to not. Um, have some resentment when you see the actions and the behaviors that your older brother is displaying. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I said, it wasn't all the time. And then they would have their time when they were really close. Mm-hmm. You know, but there had to be an underlying resentment. Yes. And you said that you were married at that time. Yes. And how did that affect your marriage? Well, I have to say it. I have to say. Not to get into deep into my marriage, but my marriage was has never been. My second marriage has never been that great. He's always been the kind of guy. Um, he was. It was hard for him to um, look at my kids, you know, and love them like he should. So you know, it was. Um, and I I don't blame him for Zach's. You know, I think there was a lot of things, but Zach was very compassionate and. Uh, loving and he needed that um, Zach needed that sense of belonging and knowing that people liked him you know just that belonging and my husband just kind of pushed him away and so I spent a lot of time trying to deal with my husband if he would just spend time with him this I saw things coming I just felt it you know during his middle school years and my husband would say I don't have time I'm earning a living I don't have time I don't have time and so um by that time, I really didn't care what my husband thought. I guess that's where I was at. So that's how, you know, because I knew their relationship, you know, it didn't, what he did did not help Zach, you know, by ignoring him or, you know, saying things to him or um, just not being there and showing him any compassion. So it, you know. Our marriage, I guess our marriage was already strained, so I just dealt with it myself. It was easier that way because the way he wanted to deal with it, you know, not saying he was wrong. I don't know. Sure. That's just how it was. Yeah. Are you still married? I am still married. Yes. Yes, but yeah. Okay. But strained. Yeah. Continuing on with Zach's journey. He's living in your home. You have basically said, I'm not going to bail you out anymore. I love you. Mm -hmm. I'm always here for you, but I'm not going to bail you out. Your relationship is somewhat improved with him, Mm -hmm. but you're still an island under yourself in terms of dealing with his mental illness and his addiction. Yes. What happened after that? Well, after that, um, there was another incident. 
and that was with my daughter and him. Um, they went up, and um, um, one night he went out with his friend, and then my I sent my daughter to go pick him up because I don't know his friend's car broke down. Well, then she was up there for a while. Um, and so I'm calling her, I'm calling her, bring him home. She was in college then. And I wake up to police cars all in my driveway mm. because, um, they both had been drinking. He was driving. He had, he had his license suspended, but he went to jail. Um, and they couldn't prove that he was driving because he ran in the house. Now, my daughter at the time was not 21, but he was. So um, he went to jail. And so I just let him play it out. I was like, I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. So he ended up getting um, off of that one, basically, because they couldn't prove. But he was on probation. And so he had to go in then for to meet with his probation officers. He didn't have his license because it had been suspended, so it was on me to take him. You know, I had people say, well, why you take him? Well, then, you know, let him figure out how to get there himself. Okay, how's that going to work? And then he misses his probation meeting. And... Right, and then he gets in trouble. So, you know, um, oh, that's enabling. That's enabling. No, it's you're trying to show support. So it's that's what I want to talk about, fine line between enabling and helping. It's a fine line. Absolutely. Um so he didn't, um, so he'd go to his probation officer, and then he had to take urine tests, um, and then there was a urine test he didn't pass because of weed. So he decided to quit going to probation, and I was just, so I said, okay, you understand the consequences, and it's going to catch up to you someday. Well, two years later, so he'd been doing okay, you know, just... Things were slowly getting better. Um, he worked, um, and and things were slowly getting better. And so the sheriff comes and knocks on our door two years later after this, looking for him because he didn't pass a urine test that he broke probation. Two years ago. It was two years after, two years he, yeah. after he got right. it, yes. Oh, my goodness. And he wasn't home. He was at work. So then they go up to his work and arrest him there. And it was like, okay, really? Did you know of all the things that are going on in this world? You know, my son who didn't pass P test, so that he ended up back in jail, and he spent three weeks in jail. Um, and I was once again, I was like, well, you're just going to get a public defender. Um, and interestingly enough, this is Zach and his personality. They had him. He was down at Jackson County Jail. And they had him on the floor with murderers, rapists. And here he was just, you know, this kid who didn't pass a pee test. And he'd call me and say, Mom, I'm with these guys. This guy's telling me he stabbed somebody 15 times oh and they're gosh. all waiting to, you know. And I was terrified for him, but I was trying to stay strong. I was like, just, okay, we'll just, you know, it's all going to work out. Then he becomes friends with these guys. He's like, mm. no, they love me. They're like, why are you in here? What's going on? And that's just how nice Zach was. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could make friends with anybody. Then they put him down on the floor with 
you know, the misdemeanor, mild ones. And he's like, I hate it down here. I want to go back up with those guys. They're a lot nicer. (laughs) So he survived. He survived the three weeks um, and came and got out. And I think that helped him a lot. Um, By this time, his girlfriend was pregnant, got a baby. And he's how old? And let's see. She was born in 2015. So, and so that happened. Well, I think, no, I take that back so I get it all confused. Before that, he'd been in rehab again. Before, okay, I got to go back a little bit. This sure. happened after she was born. Okay. Um, this, because within that two years. So it had been two years that he didn't pass this uh, urine test. Um, and before that, he lost his friend in a tragic car wreck, mm. his very best friend. And course my son that this was his third stint in rehab when he found out that his friend was so all these things this triggers and things that kept happening to him and so he got out before his daughter was born and then he did okay um he would just binge times you know he was a wonderful dad though oh my gosh like just a super terrific loving caring dad it was amazing to watch him and then this happens, um, where the police come. So now we're back on that story. And so he spent three weeks in jail, uh, came home, and um, and so that's when he kind of quit using. Um, he wasn't using the pills. He wasn't, and it was really interesting because, um, you know, all the while, I my guard is up. Sure. You know, like, okay, I'm just waiting, waiting for something to happen. And it didn't. He was, like, on the path to recovery of Mm. trying to. But I could see in his head, so he did this for a year and a half, and I could see in his head, though, things swirling. I could just tell by the way he was acting. Um, What do you mean? um, That there was a lot on his mind. He was dealing with a lot, um, trying to deal with it all on his own. Um, I think once he stopped the... um, the um, drug use and he did have a couple of relapses but I was you know he I was always right there and I said it's okay you know I'm so proud of you and you're doing so good and it's okay and but I could tell by the way that he um would just you know he would be on the couch and I could just see his mind was different places and so I would sit down and I would say you know Zach it's okay the way you're feeling I understand that you've got a lot. I can see it, but I wish you would go talk to somebody that can. Um, I said, you can talk to me anytime, and I want you to know that, but I wish you would go talk to somebody that can help you work through this, whatever it is that's going on in your head. And I think once he started to not be using drugs, then here washes all this guilt over him. So I think he was remembering all the horrible things that had happened or things that he'd done. Um, I think he felt that everybody was always going to look at him in a bad way. You know, he'd mention that. And I'd say, these are things you need to talk to somebody about. You know, I would tell him, it's one day at a time. Look forward. Don't look back. You know, and our relationship grew so much closer. Like I finally had my son back that I knew was there the whole time. You know, he didn't lie. Mm. You know, we could have conversations about stuff and he would listen and not get angry. 
I mean, it was wonderful. And so I, I, ha- I feel so grateful that that last year and a half that I had with him, our relationship was what it should have always been, you know. So, um, but he, he would always just say, oh, I can, no, I'll take care of it. I don't want to go talk to somebody. They're just going to want to put me on medicine. They're just going to want to do this. I was like, no, if you go to a therapist, they don't do that. But I think he thought he could just deal with it himself. Was it a man thing, a pride thing? I don't know. Well, and his experience was with medication, not a good one from right the first time when he was a freshman in high school. Right. That had to have been a tape that played in his mind. Yes. And I think he, yeah, I think he knew that it was, you know, that's not what he, you know, he he just, and I think that's was first and foremost, if I go to the doctor, you know, did he not trust himself either <laughs> to not say, yeah, I'll take those pills, you know, um, I can handle it, you know, when he knew he couldn't. So he was fighting a battle within himself. Um, and it, I could see it. Um, he was happy, but at the same time, he, you know, good things started to happen for him. This is the first of a two-part series with Beth. My conversation with Beth will continue on Episode 6, which will be available Tuesday, October 24th. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share these episodes. And thanks again for listening to the Just a Mom podcast. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Wanna see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds that keep covering up the sun. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.